I know you've been blessed as I have been by the songs that focused on the amazing, deep, deep love of Jesus and what that sacrifice means. I appreciate Doc uh, leading us into the heart of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, that through faith and baptism we have shared in that event and our life is hidden with Christ and God and we wait for his return to share in his glory. Today we're uh, in session number four on Velcro, not blue tape, a focus on us sticking together in love permanently and not being stuck with each other in frustration. And we've been talking about some principles that go back to one anothering, how we are to live with each other in Christ. And today we kind of want to get to the payoff of that. Where do we live out this one anothering principle? But before we jump into the message, you're going to want to have your Bibles open to the book of Acts. Also, if you want to follow along with the interactive outline, that link does work. And so I encourage you to do that. But at least have a Bible open to the book of Acts because we're going to go through several things in several chapters. Just kind of have that handy. Um, But this is going to be a busy, busy month as we look into October. And as we look into October, there are a lot of moving parts. Today, you're going to meet the search team. We'll begin a journey, and uh, you have some information in the pews that talk about a reading plan from the book of Acts. We want you to be reading the book of Acts. If you start today, you're going to be right on schedule. Read one chapter a day, and let God, with his Holy Spirit, remind you of who we are and what we're to be about. Because not only are we going to be working on the search, but we're reminding ourselves of why God has put pine tree in this place at this time to do his mission. In addition, we'll be having a special offering on giving to support a lot of the stuff that Doc uh, was talking about and praying about in his uh, communion devotional and his contribution thoughts. And so I want you to be uh, just open to the Holy Spirit as... He speaks to you through that great mission movement in the book of Acts. So lots going on. Before we uh, get any further, I want to tell you one of my favorite stories. And it's a favorite story because it's about a cowboy and a preacher. I have some good friends that are cowboys, and so this one makes an impression has a sweet spot, a tug on me. There was a cowboy and a preacher, and the cowboy had been missing church. He loved God, he believed in God, he loved Jesus, but most of all, he loved the outdoors, and he didn't have a lot of patience for churchiness. And he hadn't been to church in a while. And so on a night when there was some chill in the air, Preacher knocked on his door. The cowboy signaled him to come on in, pointed him to some rockers by the fireplace. There was a fire, but it was beginning to die down. And preacher sat down in one rocker. It used to be the cowboy's wife's rocker, but she had graduated to be with Jesus. Cowboy got them both a cup of coffee, and they sat there. And cowboy knew why the preacher was there. The preacher knew that the cowboy knew why he was there. 
So there wasn't a lot of talk at first, and the cowboy wasn't much on chatter anyway. So they drank their coffee. And as they sat there, comfortable in their friendship, but uncomfortable in the words that needed to be spoken, the preacher not only rocked, but he prayed. God, help me know what to do. Help me know how to communicate to my friend. And he looked over at the fireplace, and the fire had gone out. The logs had been covered with ash. You couldn't even see a glow. And the spirit kind of thumped him. And he got up, and he went over to the fireplace, and he took out the poker. And he got down, and he began to pull those three or four logs that looked more like ash together. And then he... Began to blow on them. Every time he blew on them, there was, there was at first a, a bright white as the embers kind of re-caught. And then there was that orange glow and there was that final breath. And it popped back into flame. Sat down in his rocker. Took another sip or two of coffee. And looked over at the cowboy. Well, I think it's time for me to go, brother. Got up, shook his hand, headed toward the door. Cowboy said, preacher, I got it. I got it. Preacher exited the door. And the cowboy went back to the warm glow of the freshly ignited fire. question I want you to ask is do you believe the song we sang before I got up here and started yakking? Do you believe that God really wants to light that fire in us? That fire of the Holy Spirit, that fire of passion, that fire of connection, that fire of belonging to each other. Does God have a plan to take our dying embers and light his fire in our hearts again? Is that Just stuff we sing on Sunday. Or maybe a more skeptical way, but a real way to ask it is, can church's family ever be more than false advertising? I've been in churches of all sizes, from little ones to thousands. And everybody wants to talk about their church's family. And that's great if it's real to you. But if it's not real to you, it's false advertising. It's painful. It hurts. Even if you're not even sure you want to engage with other people, you you feel lonely, but you want to belong. You want those front and back, single-spaced list of scriptures about one another, and you want them to be true in your life. You want to have that connection. Maybe a better way to ask it is, is there a place to live out the one anothering principles of our life together? Because you can't do that one anothering stuff with integrity. If you don't know each other, if you don't connect with each other, if folks don't really know you and know your hurts, 
If the early church was characterized by the phrase, all the believers had all things in common, or they were upon the same, they were one, they were literally the body of Christ, how do we, how do we reproduce that? How is this one anothering true in our lives? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, and I want you to imagine the excitement of those early days. You know, I, I was a young preacher, and I preached in Elgin, Texas. And that church grew, and it was fun, and they were sweet people. And then God called us to Austin. And Austin's a little crazy. I know you guys know that, probably think it's a lot crazier than it is. And God plopped us down in the church of about 350, and we woke up two and a half years later, and it was 850. Another four or five years later, and it was 1250. And it was exciting, and it was growing, and it was passionate, and people were thrilled to be with each other. And, man, things were going, and we all knew that we didn't know what we were doing, but we were glad God was doing it. And it was exciting, but it was nothing like the book of Acts. I want you to look at Acts 1.15. And I want you to circle that. There were about 120 in the upper room, praying, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The apostles, probably the women that we see faithful to Jesus throughout, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Yeah, the resurrection changed everything for all of them. And they were passionate, and they had a message, but Jesus says, you wait until the Spirit comes on you. I give you power from on high, and boom, Acts 2 happens, right? Pentecost. And you go to Acts 2.41, you've already had the, the, the passage that we read earlier. You had the first part of this. Let all the house of Israel know this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And they were cutting their heart. What do we got to do? How could we have done this thing? We just... You just need to change your mind and your heart and the direction of your lives. We call that repenting. Mind and heart and direction. Confess Jesus as your Lord and be baptized. And on that day, those that heard the message and responded numbered 3,000. 120 to 3,000. How in the world do you figure out how to do communion and how to figure out where folks to sit and make sure everybody's taken care of when you go from 120 to 3,000. It's impossible. But it didn't stop there. Go to chapter 4 and verse 4. Well, you find. Well, you remember the liturgical dance that happens in chapter 3. You remember that one? You didn't know that liturgical dance was scriptural, did you? But there's a guy by Gate Beautiful. And... and Peter and John come up to him and say, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the presence of Jesus that is resurrected, we say, stand up and walk. And he didn't just stand up and walk. He went beyond what was commanded, didn't he? Jumping and leaping and praising God in the temple courts. Somebody said, that dude's excited. We better figure out what's going on with him. And a big crowd surrounded him. And they began to preach the gospel that Doc talked about. That you can be saved right now. You can know your future. 
Because Jesus died and he was buried and he was crucified by our own leaders. They spurred on the Romans and they executed him. But we're here today to tell you that even though they thought they got rid of him, they didn't. Now, we were scared little mice, but we're not scared anymore because we have seen him alive and we testify he is raised from the dead. And through the course of the events there, threats of persecution, we're going to hurt you if you keep doing this. They said, we've got to obey God rather than man. Next thing you know, 120 that became 3,000, now 5,000, just counting the men folk. But it doesn't stop there. Chapter 5. And things keep going. It keeps getting crazier. Chapter 5, we find out that that number has become many more. The apostles keep doing wonders and signs, and they keep testifying, and the Lord added multitudes of both men and women. In other words, the poor guy that gets up and counts, you know, during church, he just said, Uncle, I can't do it anymore. There are too many. There's just a multitude of them. But it didn't stop there. They had this big problem, and it was a racial problem. They were Jews, but they were Jews that spoke Greek and not Aramaic or Hebrew. And so it was a racial problem, but really more a social racial problem. And those that didn't speak Aramaic and Hebrew, those widows were being neglected. And so the apostles appointed seven. We call them deacons. They're never called deacons. They're just called servants. But then that's what the word deacon means. There's really not such a term as deacon. It's the word servant. And they appointed these servants... And these servants began to serve, and they took care of the widows, and the apostles went on and did what they were called to do. They focused on prayer and the ministry of the Word, and all the people were happy with it, and guess what happens? Hmm. They multiplied greatly, and even priests, the most dug-in opponents of Jesus in His ministry, they become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I've experienced growth, but how in the world do you do that? How do you handle that? Well, now, I don't know if you know how big the temple is or how big the temple courts is, but they used their equivalent of the football stadium, and that's where they met. And yeah, the Jewish worship was going on all the time, all the stuff associated with Jewish worship, the Psalms, all the stuff that they did to worship and praise, but they just took a big corner of that, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's where they worship. But how do you do one anothering with a mob? How did they sustain a sense of relationship and closeness when they were growing so quickly? How did they begin by having all things in common and being together in chapter 2, and you get to chapter 4, they're still that way? How did that happen? It's an important question. Because sustaining a relationship and closeness while growing quickly can be hard. 
But let me tell you a little secret that we know from church research. It's easier for you to have relationship in a church of 3,000 than it is in a church of 100, especially if you're new. Some people argue with me about that. But I preached in the church of 83. Folks were welcoming in the foyer. They might even take folks out to lunch. But getting close inside the group, knowing all the acrostics that are in the bulletin, the, you know, abbreviations, knowing where to go, what time to show up, and feeling a part of stuff, it was pretty hard until we grew and started having new groups because those old groups were settled. They didn't want folks messing with them. So how did they do it? Well, I want you to turn back to Acts 2.46, and I want you to notice something that gets overlooked. This message is called the 2020 vision of the early church, and I, I want you to notice them. This is in Jerusalem. Jewish people... And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Their Christian life was a daily thing. It wasn't no Sunday morning thing. And it was a public thing in the temple courts. It was from house to house. Isn't that genius? You don't have to figure out how to build a bigger church building or add more classes. Because when you add more folks, you just make room at your own table and include them in your group, in your neighborhood. And that becomes kind of the paradigm, the window that we see in the early church, how it grew and, and captured people's hearts and included them. But that does look kind of Jewish, so do we really practice that or should we practice that? Well, let's go to Acts 20 and verse 20, and this is where we get the 2020 vision. Look what Luke reminds us of. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He talks about his ministry among them, how he loves them, how precious they are to him. And he said, I want to remind you that I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You want me to put that in modern cornbread English? They met in a big box and they met in homes. They had a church worship assembly. And they had small groups. Now, I know our preference has been Bible classes. And Bible classes are important, especially in a church this size, especially with our children. But it blew my mind when folks started doing small groups about 35 years ago. And people said, ain't scriptural. We do Bible class in this church. Why in the world do we need small groups? Well, Bible class was a great invention, like most inventions. 
We stole it from the Baptists who stole it from the folks in England. Really, the Methodists were the ones that kind of got it going, and it wasn't anything like it is today. They began, like we do, friends speak. And they began to teach English and reading. And they used the Bible to do that. That's where Sunday school began. So when we go back and do friends speak or LST, that's kind of what we're doing. But Bible class became an institutional thing because we became an institutional country. But over the course of four generations, there's a yearning for closeness and attachment. And if you're going to reach the hearts of folks that are in their 20s to 35, you better have community and you better, you better have some belonging. And if we're honest, we need it too. We want a place to belong. It doesn't matter what age we are. We may hide at church, but we have a crisis. We want somebody to be with us in the ICU waiting room when the bad news is delivered. And we want folks to walk with us when we walk down that long valley of the shadow of death because fear and no evil is not easy by yourself. We know the early church grew and they grew because of a number of things but the two predominant ones that we're most aware of is they grew because of the devotion. Now, you probably heard the sermons from Acts 2, 41 through 47. They devoted themselves. The apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and those things that they devoted themselves to are important, and, and they were devoted. And you've already heard my definition between involved and devoted, right? Between involved and committed. Because every breakfast you celebrate that if you eat bacon and eggs, because the chicken is involved and the pig is devoted or committed. Because one just gives a product of itself and the other one gives itself. And the early church thrived because people gave themselves. And in response, God breathed his breath, the Holy Spirit, and gave them power. But the other genius of the early church is they grew in bigger groups that met publicly and they grew in smaller groups that met house to house. So, is there a place for us to live out one another? Where that long list of stuff, of the stuff we're supposed to do with each other can happen and it be real and it's not artificial and somebody doesn't have to assign us to go do it and we don't look to the elders to find everybody that's not showing up but we realize it's our responsibility? Yeah. To go forward from here, we've got to embrace... The church is public in house to house. And if something happens when we eat food or break bread, as the New Testament calls it, with each other. And we do it with glad and generous hearts. We're happy to be with each other and we're happy to share what we got. When I was in El Paso as a student, my parents moved there. When I was a senior in college, and I remember the speed limit was 55 stinking miles an hour. And Abilene is West Texas, and I get to the edge of Abilene. I'm going to a place I've never been before, and there's a sign to this day on the edge of Abilene. says, El Paso, 444 miles. Without bean dip and Coca-Cola, I would have never made that trip after finals. 
I'm telling you. You didn't want to ride with me, but I stayed awake. It was a long trip. But you know what they did in El Paso? All the small groups had green enchilada contest. And I looked up and go, Lord, this must be the waiting room of heaven. (laughs) Then I moved to Central Texas. You know what it is in Central Texas. Barbecue, that's right. I mean, I went to a place in downtown New York City that listed the top 50 barbecue places in the world, and four of them were within 40 minutes of Austin in those little bitty towns. You know some of them. I lived in the capital of hot gut sausage. That's not a nice thing to say in public, but that's what what it is. Elgin Southside Market. And in Elgin, folks compared their barbecue. We had dead cow and dead pig, and we had dead chicken, and we had it all the time. And it was seasoned and sauced, and you took that food with a glad heart, and you were glad that somebody was generous. There was lots of prayer. Sometimes there was crying. Sometimes there were some come-to-Jesus meetings with some folks. But God did great work in places as different as El Paso and Elgin because the church was public and house to house. So we got the plan. We got the plan. We just need the devotion to live it out. To not let our Christian faith be the Sunday periphery, the pregame for the Cowboys, but it's the launching pad for life together. And when we do that, we can ask God to light the fire in us. And we're ready for whatever comes, good, bad, ugly, growing, whatever, because we found the Holy Spirit's paradigm, the Holy Spirit's plan for us to one another and celebrate. This morning, I want to remind you that the gospel is about being stuck with each other because we are stuck in love with each other. And that's got to happen here, but it's got to happen in a little place. That's why your elders have committed to have classes where you know each other and pray for each other. It's why you have small groups. It's why your youth focuses on group activities. It's why it's important for the kids to get a sense of this is who we are and this is our team together. And all of us old gray heads and receding hairlines, we need it just as bad as anybody. So this morning, if you don't have a place to belong, there's going to be elders at the back, and they'll help make sure you get connected. There's going to be somebody up here with me at the front. If you need to walk out of here and know you're saved, like Doc talked about, by sharing in Jesus' dead, burial, and resurrection, we can get that taken care of. But most important, we're going to stand up. So let's stand. I'm going to ask Tony to get up here. And we're going to ask God for a lightning strike as we commit to be devoted.